It plays with your mind quite a bit. It's interesting. It's well shot, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, Willem Dafoe and uh, Robert Pattinson are both really good. So, you know, you won't leave feeling, like, super happy, but it'll you'll be like, whoa. It's, I don't know, there's pieces of it that are kind of Lynchian, I would say, maybe, and, and some other influences, too. A little it's by the there. guy who did The Witch, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I liked that a lot. That was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. This is weirder. This is a little different, that. though, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so feel... do you remember? Do you remember the end of the witch? Yes. Imagine if the end of the witch was like um, most of the movie. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Okay. Well, huh. not most. Not most. Half. That'd be pretty anyway. bizarre. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm not gonna. I don't even know how I could spoil it. I don't even know how to explain it really. But it's worth. <laughs> Okay, cool. In theaters, I think. I think it's one of those movies that is you should see in theaters. So okay, so I should go tonight. I I, I think you'd be entertained by it. Tonight's the last night it's showing in our theater. That's why. I I think it would be worth it. Yeah. I, I'd be curious. I hope you don't come out and be like, oh, Tyler made me go to this. But... God damn it, Tyler! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damn um, you! Yeah, man. I also want to see Doctor Sleep too. That's looking really good. Mm-hmm. Such good stuff out right now. Um, Man. Anyway, Black Christmas is coming out. Another remake. Of oh, pa- Parasite! Have you seen the ones mm-hmm. the new? I heard that's pretty good. Yeah, I want to see that too. Ugh, so much good yeah. stuff. Things that'll keep us busy, I guess, when American Horror Story's done. So yeah. Speaking of which, should we dive in? Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host. Chris Husted. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the penultimate episode. Mm. Sad to say, because we're only on episode eight, but alas, mm-hmm. we do only have nine episodes in this season. It weighs heavy on my heart, Chris. We only have a week left. Uh, a lot of strings to tie, I will uh, say. I, yeah, I don't. I have, as we, I feel like when every, whenever we get to this point in the season, we always just have our fingers crossed and really hope for the best that they can this tie these up. This is where um, Colt derailed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that you and I had been like, eh, relatively high on Colt for most of the season, except for the Valerie Salanis. Well, that was Colt, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah, except except for that yeah. section, and yeah. then we got to this point where we're like, oh god. So I, we've been both really high on 1984 up till now. Hard mm-hmm. to say what's going to happen. Um, before we get any further, uh, well, first of all, I want to apologize. We are recording on Thursday night, but you know sometimes that happens. I think for the finale, we'll both be uh, in tune to be recording on you know Wednesday mm-hmm. and getting the pot out Thursday morning. Um, but otherwise, we definitely want to thank everybody for continuing to join us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Just American Horror Story. Uh, there were so many fun um, American Horror Story themed costumes that had been posted. Uh, I know we talked about that last week, but I think even a couple more were. So that's been a, that's been great. And also you can email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com, especially because next week is the finale. If you have fun questions or thoughts that you want us to talk about leading up to the finale, you know, after we do kind of the full autopsy of the season, we like to, you know, think about hear theories about what's happening next season, for instance, and, um, you know, talk all that kind of fun stuff. So if you have some ideas for, you know, 
things you want us to discuss, please share, share your own thoughts, that kind of thing. And finally, please rate us and review us on iTunes. That, that means so much to us. We really appreciate it. Keeps getting the pod out to new people. And I feel like every season we've got a new crew that comes in. Mm-hmm. I love it. We get messages from people that say, hey, just found you guys during this season. Uh, and now I'm going back and listening to you guys from, I don't know, Asylum or Cult or Roanoke. And it's, it's really cool that this kind of can live on. It is very cool. And, yeah, live on and grow. So before we dive into, um, I guess, some remarks from before this episode over the week and everything like that, um, let me ask you what beverage you have in hand this evening. I have my, uh, because it's essentially happy hour over here, I've got my hot apple cider with two shots of Buffalo Trace. Ooh, lovely. Mm -hmm. I will be returning to cider for the finale next week, but right now I'm drinking a beer that has, it's an IPA with strawberries and black currants. So, you know, it's a little little tart, a little fruity. It's great. I feel like black currants are super in right now. I think they are. Yeah. Maybe they're super. I've seen a lot of recipes lately. I've never cooked with them before. I don't know. That's our next uh, podcast, Cooking with Tyler and Chris. (laughs) American Horror Story. Yeah. (laughs) That's what it would be for me. Um, I like eating, but yeah, I'm I'm a better sous chef than a cook. (laughs) Now, let's talk about some comments from leading up to this episode. Yes, please. So a couple different things. So this this is going back to last week's episode, The Lady in White. Um, on Facebook, Bryce pointed out uh, there was a number of references to Asylum in last week's episode, and I think Michael on Facebook also pointed this out too. Um, so I'm curious to hear what you think about this, but Bryce pointed out that the Buttons and Bows song that plays during the opening in the 40s, so that's the opening scene with Lily Rabe and the two kids, uh, that's the song that plays when Sister Jude runs over the girl in Asylum. That's a good catch. I did not remember that, and I actually searched to see if I could find that on YouTube, that that actual sequence, because I totally forgot that that had happened. But once I read that, absolutely, I remember what happened. Um, mm-hmm. So good call. I couldn't find it, but I believe it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he pointed out that Rita nursing Brooke through her detox was similar to Kit nursing Sister Jude through her detox following mm-hmm. her release mm-hmm. from Briarcliff. And then Michael did a screenshot versus screenshot comparison of John Carroll Lynch's house in Alaska with Kit's house from Asylum, and it's effectively like the exact same house. The same house. That's cool, yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to be a nod or they just have one set that they could use. <laughs> well, but. but it does seem a little coincidental that we have multiple mm-hmm. Asylum references from last episode, and we've had a few this season. I don't know. Is there some... Do you see any greater connection, or is it just... I mean, I guess... So, Asylum took place in, what, the... 60s. 60s, and we're in the... We're in the 80s, though. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I... We see. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I can't. I can't think of any direct ones right now because we do have an actual asylum that is in this season in 1984. Obviously, not not Briarcliff, but maybe they're trying to connect it that way. I, w- I would like to go back and see um, all the jingle scenes from the current asylum and see if there's a, uh, any like correlation or connections in the anything that they've done in the writing the the dress design, the the dialogue that might be a little head nod or wink to Briarcliff, but I can't point anything. Out. I think we might see something next episode, though, and I have a theory. Right. Well, I mean, I think an obvious theme this season has been again mental health, which has been a, you know a theme of past seasons. So maybe we'll see some kind of convergence, like you said, next episode. Um, also, Amanda on Facebook pointed out that Lavinia 
which is the name of, you know, Mr. Jingle's mother. The woman in white. Mm -hmm. Is named after the first female serial killer, Lavinia Fisher. That's a really interesting pickup. I did not know that history, so thanks for that tip. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. And then um, we had a theory from Nicole on Facebook that Sally would be potentially the one who shows up. Sally from Hotel would be the one who shows up. Hypodermic Sally. Would be the Sarah Paulson character that shows up at... uh, for the concert? For the concert, because that would that be essentially fit in. That is a great theory. I love that. That's at so the, cool. At the, at, at the end of this episode, I want to talk about Sarah Paulson, because I yep. think there's a few and different you know, potential characters could, she could be. Yeah, so I think that would be kind of fun to discuss. Yep, cool. But before we do that, let's go ahead and dive into episode eight, Rest in Pieces. Will you kick us off with the cold open? Yeah, we open, it says, one day before Halloween in 1989. We open at the diner, and we have Donna and Brooke discussing the final girl setup, essentially. Uh, this kind of reminds me of the movie Scream with Randy, the character who explains the rules of like the final... Yeah, he doesn't really go into the final girl, but he does talk about the rules, and, and that's what Donna's essentially explaining to Brooke that she's the final girl, which I like that Brooke's like, why can't you be the final girl? <laughs> she makes some jokes about how people of color often fare in these movies. Um, but while they're there discussing this, uh, a reporter pops up over to their table and says that, oh, you look just like that serial killer, Brooke. And she says, I get it all the time. Turns out she's a National Enquirer reporter, uh, and she tells them Morbid is where the money is, and she's writing a book about Brooke and Jingles. Uh, and that's essentially what she kind of divulges to them that she knows who they are and uh, wants to write with them. And they want to, they, anyway, they, they offer up their story to her to kind of cut a deal. Mm-hmm. Even pulls the, you, go ahead. I was going to say, she even pulls the, are you going to eat that classic power move? Yep. Yep. Um, I like that. She says, when she's talking about working for the national Enquirer too, she said more, morbid is where the money is. <laughs> um, and she says the camp, so why she wants to write about it is because the camp represents the 80s. She says it's the veneer of wholesomeness covering up violent darkness. I love that. Uh, and then she makes jokes about how the 80s were great because like things like gay British musicians were pretending to be straight, Iran, Contra, AIDS, Small Wonder, which is a really a show that I remember. Uh, I think she says crack also. There's, there, this, there's a lot of dialogue that was kind of coming at you Gilmore Girls style. Uh, I think she calls the 80s the era of bullshit, too. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Hey, man, that's when we were born. (laughs) Yeah, so there's a couple things that I want to, like, I also noted here that I thought were interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Among them, not only did Donna notably say that Brooke could be the final girl, the other final girl potentially could be Margot. She said, or Margaret, it could be either one. Oh, that's right, yep. So I, I... you got to feel like that's not, you know, it's going to be a showdown between the two of them at the end of the right. day, obviously. Because essentially Margaret pitched herself to the world as the final girl in the original uh, earlier 1970 massacre. Although maybe it would be an interesting twist if both Donna, or sorry, Margaret and Brooke go down and Donna is the, the final one standing. Yeah, yeah. So that could be enjoyable. Um, also, I thought it was funny that Brooke said she's going to go to Australia because she liked Crocodile Dundee. Yes, I remember watching Crocodile Dundee when I was a kid. And then she makes a joke like, well, the first one. Um, I think there were two or three, I can't remember. But, but I doesn't Crocodile Dundee doesn't even take place in Australia? He's just Australian. No, he comes he's to the just US. Australian. That's the whole exactly. premise. Yep, yep, yep. I love it. <laughs> uh, that was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> oh, Paul Hogan. Um, yeah, and then, of course, yeah, you look just like Brooke Thompson or whatever, even though no one see you know. 
I guess I guess Stacy's the reporter's name, right? I guess she's been looking at like old photos and things, so makes sense why she would. Because obviously, you know, recent pictures of her probably at trials and stuff, she probably looked pretty haggard, like she did when she was getting before she got injected. But I guess if she's digging through source material, she would see the older stuff. So let's talk about kind of the um, Donna Brooke path, and then we'll diverge to everybody else at Redwood. Uh, so then Stacy, you know, there's, I think as they're leaving the diner, Brooke tells Donna, I think she recognized me. Obviously she was correct because Stacy tracks them down then back in the motel and they proceed to kind of broker a deal um, in which, you know, Donna and Brooke will give her the real inside scoop for her book if she doesn't, you know, if she um, lets them go, essentially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, also interesting, though, is that, like, I was curious what your thoughts were here, because Stacy doesn't, considering that Brooke is supposed to be this horrible murderer, she doesn't seem very afraid to, like, be blackmailing them in the situation and, like, invite them both back to her room and stuff like that. That's true. She's quite intrepid. Uh, <laughs> I maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I... I just there's no threat there because she knows Brooke's trying to escape and she, it would be stupid if she started murdering people or maybe she just didn't I don't know I don't know yeah so not you know maybe maybe there was a part of her that did always believe Brooke was innocent or something like that she had a, a hunch of some kind or she's just kind of blinded by her own arrogance which I think is also a possibility because I think that ultimately kind of leads to her demise that she thinks she can broker this deal and I mean blindly walks with Brooke into that shed, closes her eyes to do the whole thing. Like she's almost like naive in her yeah, you know, approach. Um, That's why she works for the Enquirer. Right. Uh, and we have this whole moment, you know, obviously they go back to Camp Redwood and this is before they see anybody else. Um, and they're telling her the whole story that, you know, Margaret Booth is the one who's really behind it all. Brooke takes her to the shed to, to explain it. And you know, well, a couple different things. Obviously, Brooke tries to kill her, and Donna prevents it. Mm-hmm. And so we would talked about this, whether or not Brooke had changed since she was the killer. Or, well, since she had been you know, convicted as a killer and all that kind of stuff. And she seems to believe she has. And this is kind of back to Donna's original premise with the whole experiment, is whether or not people have the darkness in them, or whether it's something, you know, whether they're born with it, or whether it's manifested later on. So this is, it's, it's kind of full circle that, she, you know, Donna... I don't know. I guess it's Donna making up maybe for releasing Jingles in some way in the first place. I don't know. She has a lot more to uh, atone for than Brooke does. Brooke essentially only killed one person, and that was out of self-defense. That was Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, when Donna was – Donna is essentially responsible for unleashing someone who killed multiple people. Um, but I do – I kind of agree with you. It was interesting to see – I know that Brooke says, I've changed, prison changed me. Death Row changed me, whatever. But it was real quick of her just deciding to turn into a murderer and, like, deviate from her revenge mission to kill this reporter who really, I don't know, doesn't, I don't, didn't seem like a, a big issue at all. Um, but then, yeah, Donna does talk her out of it because she says there is maybe evil inside of us all. You just can't feed it. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what she learned from her father. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess if the, you know, the, the Brooks frame of mind is, my only sole mission, basically, because, you know, this is, Donna had to basically convince her that, like, there was a reason to live, and her only sole mission is revenge. So if there is any obstacle in that road to revenge, 
such as you know Stacy potentially being a blocker from that. You have to eliminate the obstacle, I guess. So potentially right. that is the, the frame of mind. But it doesn't really take her much um, convincing from Donna to, to kind of back off of that. Yeah, it was pretty quick. And I, I think for people who are doubting Donna, I think she's sort of proven herself that she is true, truly a friend of Brooke and does want to help her and make things right before they move on with their lives. Um, I mean, she could... 180 in the final episode but I, i'm thinking that would be a real cheap uh pivot for them so i think she's good yeah i think you know we were suspicious and others were suspicious about how conveniently that newspaper was placed with the redwood mm-hmm. music festival but you maybe you know i think that you know as we've talked about playing into the tropes of the 80s part of the trope is like a lot of coincidence and so you know to some degree we have to why this is taking a little bit step back, looking at the season as a whole. Why I'm more okay with that in this season than in potentially in past seasons is because the coincidence makes sense in the like in the world. You know what I mean? In the world that they framed out, that kind of thing makes sense that it would happen. Whereas in past seasons, it doesn't like it seems fake. It seems you know lazy I mean? writing. Yeah, exactly. It seems like lazy convenient writing. contrivance that, to help move the plot along. And again, it might be this season too, but because this is the theme, it, it's a, they get away with it and we don't question it too much. Yep. It's, uh, they just should do every movie in the 80s and then they don't have to have, worry about having an excuse. <laughs> I'm talking about the writers here. There you go. Next season could be American Horror Story 1985. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also enjoyed that Eye of the Tiger was the song that played at this point. That was great. I loved it, yeah. Don't entirely know exactly what that meant, but still enjoyable. Um, But then, you know, obviously they, you know, after Donna tackles Brooke, Stacy makes a run for it and then immediately gets killed anyway by, I guess, what we'll call, like, the murder squad. I don't know. Yeah. Um, The, uh, what did I call them? The the Redwood Dead. No, she didn't get even killed by the Redwood Dead because she got killed by it was. Um, oh, the three, um, it, the, our new team: Bruce, Night Stalker, and Margaret. Margaret and Night Stalker. Yeah, I don't know why I call her Margot. Margaret. Margaret. Yeah, and that was. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I really f- felt enough to feel bad by it. You know I didn't. I mean? It seems silly, but it was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, thank, thank God for Bruce in this episode is what I'll say. <laughs> I thought I didn't know we were going to have more Bruce. I did not either, and it was a pleasant surprise because it actually kept this episode fun. Not that so, it wasn't fun, fun, but it was. He kept it great. So let's talk about our friend Bruce and, and jump over there. You know, um, Jonah. We find out Jonah. You know, Jonas. We haven't seen in a little while. He's back in the road again. <laughs> he just pops um, in whenever we need him. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Seems to be a lot more self aware than he was when he was picked up by. Every Brooke and Chet and all them in the first episode, mm-hmm. um, and Bruce picks him up in the Mary Kay vehicle, which I enjoy. I love it. So eighties, <laughs> so great. So or so late eighties, early nineties, perfect. Love it. I also like that he went to the camp even without his thumbs. That's like yeah, he's still going. He's not pissed off. Well, and that's like a super you know that's an eighties villain thing. Is like no matter how beat up you are, it's more important for you to like kill the people that you're after than it is to just like. Go off and keep like, living go, your life. Yeah. I, also, like, how are you going to kill someone without thumbs? That's going to be really hard. You can't uh, hold a knife, a gun. Uh, you got to jump on him. Yeah, he did, he did have some pretty like bandage. I mean, I guess you could choke 
someone by holding your forearm against their throat. This is getting gross. Why are we talking about? Well, <laughs> How do you kill someone without thumbs? I guess we'll find a, we'll find out next episode. I'm sure. Um, but again, the, the the theme here is revenge. So much revenge. Yep. Bruce is in it to get revenge on Donna and Brooke. Brooke's in it to get revenge on Margaret. Um, everybody, you know, the the crew of the dead, like you said, is in it for revenge on Jingles. Every everyone Jingles is on revenge for uh, on Richard Ramirez. Right. It's everyone wants to kill somebody there, with the exception of Margaret. She just wants a bloodbath, a bloodbath, and uh, to make money. <laughs> a marketable bloodbath, I, I guess mm-hmm. you would say. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. She's, she's classic capitalist, you know. Yeah. Um, I did, mm-hmm. but I, I like I said before, I enjoyed the little sequence with. Bruce and the Mary Kay woman. Here we have this this person who's like out of the kindness of her heart, you know, he he has his thumbs cut off. And not only does he immediately like choke her out basically, but then he uses the cigarette lighter to cauterize his wounds, which is like mm-hmm. it's pretty badass. I mean, yeah. Dill McDermott's great in this. He's he's a nut. This is this is a good character for him. Um I I like it better than his other serial killer that we've seen, which was adult uh, Bloody Face's son, right? That's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was... That was such cre- a brief character, anyway. That was creepy in its own way, but I think I like that, like, this guy is... I don't know. He's, he's like, a fun serial killer, kind of? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... He, he kind of has this whole diatribe, too, about how about capitalism, actually. It's talking about how by the 90s, most of the cars on the road will be pink because everybody's going to be buying Mary Kay. And then he just stabs her right in the chest. That was like, oof. Yeah. Cold. She's like, oh, she was trying to, like, make a sale, too. She was making the Mary Kay pitch to him, like the scripted pitch. Uh, and then he stabbed her. It was so funny. Mm-hmm. So he's headed to Redwood. Meanwhile, Courtney, which is, we were trying to remember last time, the name of Leslie Jordan's character. Yep. Yeah, it's mentioned um, multiple times in this episode. So, mm-hmm. Courtney so and, and Margaret are, are talking about you know the bloody bus full of Kajagugu. Kajagugu. Who's ever like talked about this band this much? I don't think. I mean, maybe in the eighties they for sure did because they have that one hit. But Kajagugu has never been mentioned ever. I think in pop culture, and this band is very much alive, uh, which is funny. So I don't. So you got to you got to imagine the writers were getting a kick out of this kind of. Yeah, do you think they talked to Kajagugu and like, hey, by the way, we're gonna use uh, um, your band in this, and you're gonna we're gonna kill you, or are they just getting like, like Twitter notifications, like, hey, just saw you guys, you died on this TV show that they've never heard of, probably. That's a good question, and I employ somebody to go and check, you know, the lead singers. Kajagugu, yeah, yeah, yeah. See if he's getting (laughs) Maybe he'll make a guest appearance in the final episode. Maybe. yeah, and yeah, Kajagugu is alive and well as ghosts, and they're just, they look like they're cool. They're jamming as, you know, poor diminutive Courtney, Courtney. is forced to chop everybody up into very tiny pieces. Obviously, Margaret is, uh, you know, suspiciously well-versed in how to get rid of bodies. Um, he's, which makes you think that she's done some other murders besides the ones where she's left all the corpses out. Um, uh, maybe, you're right, yeah. He, of course, sees that Kajagugu is still alive, so maybe they'll still play the concert as dead ghosts. You know? yeah. Oh yeah, they totally could. Um, yeah, I, I want to say that Leslie Jordan's great in this, but um, our actress Margaret um, Leslie uh, Leslie Grossman. Yes, Leslie Grossman. I was like, it's Leslie. There's a lot of Leslies here. Leslie Grossman has been spot on in in her um, kind of 
bitchy, uh, rich white woman uh, personality. I, I she's nailing it. I think this might be my favorite character of hers from the three seasons. I think so too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like it a lot. It was fun in um, Apocalypse where she kind of went when she was able to deduce the calories or whatever of like individual f- pieces of food. That was funny. so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they'd use that more. That could have been a really cool thing to a power to use uh, against like evil in some like silly way that just never happened. It was just yeah. more of a joke. Anyway, mm-hmm. Leslie Grossman, good job. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, Richard is lurking around being such a Billy Idol fanboy as he continues to be. It's getting weird, right? It's a little weird. It's a little but weird. But he is obsessed with Billy Idol. Like, when they talk at the very end of the episode about murdering everybody, not Billy, everybody yeah, but Billy. Wouldn't I, he? Have, if he murdered Billy, then him and Billy could, could live out forever in perpetuity. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. Yeah, it's 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 definitely fan obsession, and I'm curious if Richard Ramirez like did he like Billy Idol? That'd be kind of a really interesting quirk to riff off of. Um, anyway, it's just it's it's. It's obsessive, uh, mm. which is almost like, do you are you in love with Billy Idol? There's some questions there. There's certainly some questions there. But, you know, him and Jingles get into it. I didn't think that they would get into it so quickly. But, yeah. you know, he gets tackled, and then, you know, Bruce is there to mm. kind of help. Um, well, so Bruce comes in and, and hits him with the car, incidentally, actually. And mm-hmm. then it's not clear. Well, I think, he's, I think he dies, but... And disappears, but it's, I, think I think he dies too, or something. It well, because then he comes back in a minute and talks to Jonas about it. I think, but at that point, yeah. I don't think Richard realized he was actually dead. He thinks right. he's just injured and running through the forest or something. Right. And then you know, of course, Richard and Bruce kind of have their moment where he like before Richard kills him, he admits that he's a fan and, and that what Richard does is so metal, which is probably the biggest compliment you could give Richard. Yeah. And then he's, you know, he does that little sat- satanic ceremony to find where Jingles is buried, which at this point, I got to feel like Richard's hand is going to be infected soon. I mean, it's like <laughs> he keeps slicing yeah. the same wound open over and over and over right. again Maybe with, Satan that, just with that same knife like that he's good... cutting into everybody else. I mean, I yeah, that seems I mean, very uh, un- unclean, unsanitary. Satan just has... When you're when you've committed to him, you just have antibiotics constantly in your blood. You're fine, right? Um, and, and I'm going to be jumping a little bit back and forth because the way this kind of you have to make sense of this jumps back and forth a little bit. But you know, we have Montana and Trevor kind of having their um, postcoital smoke session in the cabin, and like things, I will say between them change pretty abruptly in this episode. At this point, it's like he's. Back to the kind of kind-hearted person he was when, you know, before the massacre actually happened. And he's considering staying there. Feels like he's a relic of the 80s and, like, he wants to be... Well, I think he thinks that Montana is, like... I think he says, you're 80s forever, which I thought was a hilarious line. That's quite the line. Also, he's in love with her, which I think he's in love with the idea of her being the 80s and feels like he's the 80s. It's it's kind of what she also points out. Yeah. Just like just like Richard Ramirez is obsessed with Billy Idol, Trevor is obsessed with the '80s, and I agree he's using Montana sort of as that fixture that uh, represents everything that he loves and misses of when he was younger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not 
married to Margaret. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, jealous Margaret spots them coming out of the cabin. I suspect she's jealous. Yeah, and maybe this is what makes her decide to kind of team up with, you know, the serial killers, Bruce and Richard. Um, and then, meanwhile, of course, you have Jingles waking back up after his death next to Jonas, and he has gained some insight into what death is, what dying feels like, you know? Um, he's felt mm-hmm. pain and fear and all these things that he was hoping he wouldn't feel as a ghost. Um, I'm trying to remember different seasons, such as in Murder House, were there, like, did we see people who were already dead die again i like and have them talk about dying over and over again anything like that i don't know if they talked about it and what it felt like i can't remember them actually talking about what that felt like and i don't know if they did people are gonna hate us because like you don't do your research (laughs) uh i don't remember i i mean you know season one was long yeah season one was a long time ago i i rewatched it before last season but even now you know there's so many characters and things it's hard to remember a ghost being murdered i mean we had people trying to leave and then you know being zapped popping back in, back in the house yeah. So, yeah yeah um but i don't remember i don't remember specific discussion about ghosts feeling things like pain and that kind of stuff and it makes me think it's something we hadn't really talked about potentially before because this is framed as being something like new information to us. Because remember last episode, Jingles was asking questions about what does death feel like? You know, is it hard to be, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. And, and this is the revelation is that actually you feel all the same things you do when you're alive. You're just kind of stuck in this purgatory. Right. And I believe he also said every time you come back, you're a little more foggy or you can't remember as much. Right. And so he seems concerned he's going to forget, you know, his, his mission son. and what his mm-hmm. son is. Even though like... Clearly, everybody else who's there... I mean, Jonas must have died countless times by now. And right. Well, may, I guess maybe that's why he was so incoherent when they first found him, but he seems to have regained some of his coherence since then. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hard, hard to say, but obviously Jingles is worried about not having enough time to complete his mission uh, for the sake of his son. Um, you know, Bruce is, is getting coked up, and uh, Robert's telling him about, you know, his role and all this type of stuff when Xavier shows up and he he walks them to Jingle's body which is buried not very deep um and brings him back uh, some being at his body who I guess, buried him who buried him maybe he probably buried himself right no he stabbed himself on the dock well yeah but then he his body came right back so he could pick his body up and move it and bury it couldn't he oh you oh i guess okay okay that makes sense because yeah. they can interact with the physical that, world, yeah so. I, yeah you're right you're right i forgot he appeared right afterwards and he could move his body yeah right um but you know they so this is something that you know brings his it like calls to him and brings him right back there um and this is when we get to see where richard threatens to kill jingle's kid uh, pretty blatantly, which is almost like you wonder if this was even Richard's mind before this happened. Um, but, you know, it seems like they're going to have another battle here of some kind until Margot comes in with her gun. And that's when she enlists Bruce and, and Richard to come and join the, the murder train. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot of team-ups happening <laughs> yeah, throughout this episode. Uh, yeah, we've, I mean, we've got our little 
There's going to be a lot of murder happening, but kind of in little factions. Um, we've mm-hmm. got the dead counselors who, as soon as Mr. Jingles comes back again, string him up and are going to... They're I mean, torturing him. seems like they're going to like slaughter him like a... It's, it's like a pinata or like a, you know, um, a, a hunk of meat that's in like a butcher's mm-hmm. freezer or something. Um, and he makes the, the... you know tries to make the argument, oh, they're going to go kill my innocent son. And they make the argument that we don't want Richard here dead with us forever. And that's, uh, you know, they kind of have a fair point. Mm-hmm. I agree. How, how did they catch him? Did, did we see that? I don't know if he just appeared immediately in, you know, they knew where to find him because they've this, seen the people die. Yeah. This is kind of one of the issues I had with this episode. It feels like a lot of disjointed vignettes of different things, and there's no real motivation from scene four to scene five, scene five to scene six. We just keep seeing, like, the Redwood Dead Council uh, with Jingles in a different location or talking about something. It's a lot of, I don't know, again, like disjointed vignettes. Like, And everyone's just reestablishing their motives. Yeah, it's like these, ex- these little, you know, aside from kind of the Brooke Donna little story, it's, it's just like these little moments. Everyone's standing telling them what their cause is and what their purpose is. Right. Um, and the I guess the big revelation we kind of get out of this scene is when Jingles tells everyone else that Montana is basically the one responsible not only for bringing Richard mm-hmm. to the camp, um, but for like I guess making the Night Stalker into what he is today. Yeah, even encouraging though, him to kill. Even though I mean he didn't seem exactly. Remember, you'll remember that he killed that one sassy guy from aerobics class uh, as his like love for Montana. note to Montana in the first place. Right. So right. It, I don't know. I don't know if that's quite fair to put on her, and she kind of has this whole little monologue about it later on. But mm-hmm. I like how her thing is like to have just like a single tear run down her cheek. <laughs> it's it's kind of weird because like for being in love with him in 1985 or whatever, um, she shows like that she's embarrassed or shameful about Richard Ramirez and kind of what he did. It's just a little odd for someone who was like telling him to kill Brooke and other people i mean i guess you didn't anticipate this whole sequence of it's also everybody yeah it's also a little hypocritical because she's shame ashamed or embarrassed about richard ramirez and all the death that he's been doing and what the fuck has she been doing in the last five four years at camp or five years at camp she's been killing hella innocent people right um, it, a couple questions for you. First question I want to ask is, was John Carroll Lynch convincing to you in this sequence where he's pleading with them to let his son live? Uh, yeah, enough so, I guess. Um, I feel like we already you, had you're this not same... Sold. Yeah, I feel yeah like we, we already know this. Well, but not yeah. only that, we had like this exact same kind of thing happen last episode when he went yeah. back there before he talked to his mother, and he like gave a whole emotional speech to them. I just, it, you know... They, it's a character beat we've already hit. There were parts of this episode, like you said, that kind of just felt like spinning our wheels. There was a few oh, parts... this whole that, episode, yeah. There was a few parts that didn't, and we'll talk about that at the end. But this was, like, his storyline here felt like that to me, kind of. Um, I At the end of this episode, I wrote, this felt like a lot of just treading water. Mm-hmm. And then the whole, the, the following sequence, too, I just wrote, boo-hoo, Trevor finds a mopey Montana and offers to die, too. <laughs> and they have this... I, something we don't care about. This might have been my least favorite scene of this episode, where she, she's, a, she like, after, you know, they're so in love, then she's a monster now and tells him to get away. Like, he's a monster, too. He signed on with Margaret to, like totally ignore the fact that Brooke was innocent and all this shit and everyone died and I don't know like 
she kind of goes on this little bit of a um, what's the word I'm even looking for pedantic kind of speech about you know why are women always the scapegoat for sick men to blame their bullshit on and it was all very melodramatic and like I feel like any good points she potentially had were lost and just like I don't know I've liked Billy Lord this season I've liked Trevor this season I did not Mm -hmm. like this scene yeah I it's again all of a sudden Trevor's been obsessed with Montana though we haven't really ever noticed that or again she might just be the standard for the 80s and what he misses about life but She's getting it. She's a fine character, but again, this whole relationship is... I'm not invested in it. I could care less. Yeah, exactly. I, or I, was, I couldn't care less. It just felt like real estate, you know, that we could have used for other things in this episode. Like, why are we spending time on this, kind of? Um, meanwhile, you know, Xavier and the fake jingles are unfazed by the real jingles, please. And then they slaughter him on the dock again. <laughs> uh, well, actually, they don't quite kill him all the way. They put him in the boat. And he gets pulled into the water Friday the 13th style by, is that supposed to be the ghost Jason of... Jason Voorhees. <laughs> yeah, just Jason Voorhees is the ghost of Billy, or I guess Bobby this or? is Camp Crystal Lake. Uh, yeah, I have no idea who that's supposed to be. Is this supposed to be uh, Bobby? Like a grown-up zombie Bobby? I, I, don't, I, don't know. I didn't know who it Ch- is. Chet's body died in the water, too. I don't know what it's supposed to be. Oh, yeah. This, this guy kind of looked like a, a gray, lanky... Something. I, I mean, it, lo- it looked exactly like the real Friday, like the Friday the Thirteenth initial yeah. movie. So it felt like a reference for the sake of a reference, which isn't even a reference. Yeah. To that I mean, uh, I've I've enjoyed the more subtle acknowledgments. This just felt kind of dumb. Um, and Very that, forced. It's almost like exact to the T of the of the uh, um, reenactment. Right. And you know, he then of course somehow wakes up. In, At oh, the bottom so, of the lake? <laughs> well, so this is where I'm a little bit confused. Um, is he waking up in, like, an afterlife, a new afterlife? That's, like, the, the, the like, did somehow Lavinia and Bobby bring him to, like, um, heaven, essentially? Or, 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 like, for a time? Or are they... Because it's sunny out, right? It's not the lake at... Well, I'm, I'm confused. Are they just like on the other side of the lake? I'm confused to what exactly is happening. I don't think they are physically in the present at that location. I think this is in his head, and he is when he got pulled under the water, or or he's just or he still passed out in the boat and just having this dream. Because uh, you if the if you can tell like there's a lens, um, softer lens that's happening in this whole sequence than compared to the rest of the episode. So he's either dreaming this or he's kind of thinking about or possibly entering this other purgatory world. Or I don't think it's heaven, but it's close to it because his mom in it is really nice. Lavinia's actually like really sweet. Bobby's there and he feels like he doesn't deserve to be there. So either it's happening in his mind or he's getting a taste of because he is trying to redeem himself. And that this is like the little sliver of what he can do. Maybe if he takes out Richard Ramirez, he can go live in this world. And possibly. They, well, now, but I don't think it's physically happening. Right. And they try to convince him to stay there now. Right. Uh, yeah. It, so I, I, from what you've said, then I, our presumption obviously is that he's going to be back for the final episode in whatever mm-hmm. reality. Somehow he's going to wake up from this dream kind of sequence and be back at Redwood for the music festival. Right. That reminds me also, we were talking briefly about Jingles and how he keeps ending up in the arms of, or the hands of the Redwood Dead Council. And I, how do you find a ghost? So, do you know where they're going to respawn? <laughs> yeah. 
Maybe if you've been I, there I, long I, enough, there's only like a few key points. A few spots where you respond, so I just wait there and grab him when he comes back. <laughs> total total spawn kills, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I would like to see how this happens, uh, respawning, please. Yes. So, Show us. Okay. So that's kind of like the, I mean, that's really kind of the lay of the land for this this particular episode, teeing us up for, of course, the big finale. Um, before we talk about the preview, of course, we need to re- review this one, but also like a couple questions. How do you feel? So clearly, now that we know it, there's not going to be a twist next episode. There were some ideas. Uh, actually, Bryce had talked about a pretty cool idea where you said you'd, you'd watched all of The Politician too, right? Mm-hmm. He had, had floated the idea that, uh, so apparently, this is a spoiler, spoiler for anybody who's not seen The Politician yet, but, so, plug your ears for 30 seconds real quick. But, apparently the final episode of The Politician, from what I understand, is the first episode of the next season? Um, I don't know if I would say it's the first episode, but it definitely sets up the second season. Okay, because his thought was that maybe somehow they were going to use the because it seemed like we were wrapping things up this episode. The next episode, the final episode of this season, would be like prepping us for whatever the next season would be. Um, doing a similar thing, even though this is obviously an anthology, but somehow them like I don't know taking us into a new season. Clearly, that's not happening. Clearly, we're not getting any of the other twists we talked about. Um, I don't unless like in the last five minutes of the episode next week they are like, oh, this was all a movie. I, at this point, I kind of hope it's not because. It's like, I'm, I, I'm not convinced it would be well done. But uh, we're going to see the massacre, from what I understand, happen for the most part. Uh, are we? Or uh, Okay. Or, or or are we? That's So that's you the question, the I guess. That's the, uh, now we're starting to talk about the next episode, so maybe I should... Yeah, let's, pull, we'll pull. rate this episode, then we'll talk about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Let's, let's rate this episode first, then we'll talk about next episode. I would say um, this episode was probably the weakest one of the season for me uh i i I like i still like the donna brooke buddy comedy uh horror buddy comedy i should say um and i like them getting there it a few things just felt like almost i don't know just felt forced um and then everything else was little vignettes of exposition or people restating things that we already know and i didn't really need that i was ready to keep it moving the one uh, blessing in this episode was having Bruce back. He was hilarious and fun, and I'm I'm glad he was there because he brought a levity to the to the episode. So I was down with that. Um, and the theme of like, can people really change? Uh, I like that, and they've been hitting at that uh, a few times throughout the season. Something we already know. I I, we, I think we've established this. So I would say I give this episode three point seven five severed ears. What do you give it? Solid. Um... I think you hit a lot of fair points. I liked I liked the Donna in in Brooke episode as well, but in the in the end, it didn't really mean anything because Stacy dies anyway. I guess it was solely for the point of showing again, you know, Brooke's character's evolution can and Brooke Donna's character's evolution. Not. Right, right. Which I can I can respect that at least. I do think my my favorite part was the team up of Bruce and Night Stalker and Margaret now, mm-hmm. but. Man, I was really not on board for where things have. Honestly, I don't really. I'm not a big fan of where things have gone with Mr. Jingle's story at this point he's in time. Just, he's such a sad sack now. Yeah, not not a fan of that. And um, the whole Trevor Montana thing, I was like, I, I don't care. Uh, it, it, yeah. So it's not even like that funny. No, 
No, no, it wasn't funny at all. So I think I got to give it 3.25, which is definitely my lowest score of this season. Mm-hmm. But, you know. So that's six. That's that's the lowest for the season. Seven. Definitely. And usually it's, this is episode, or seven. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is usually an episode where things really, like, blow up and go crazy and have a lot of shit go down, but not this season. Yeah. Anyway, so, next episode better bring it. Well, so let's talk about that real quick. In the preview, a couple different things. Um, Finn Whitrock is back. Not clear what his role is. He's being somehow tormented. He yeah. He shows up and they clearly they already cats out of the bag in the preview that Trevor's dead because he kills himself in front of uh, Finn Whitrock's character. Uh, and they're just messing with him. And then, but we also see him later in the preview, at, and he's at the asylum. So we know we're going back to the asylum uh, at some point. So I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Is is a grown up Bobby? I don't know. Like, are we going to flash forward even further? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, and then you know we we need we need to talk about you know is Sarah Paulson still coming? Because I think we thought she was going to be in an earlier episode than this initially. We did. The woman in white, I think, is what we thought she would be in, but she wasn't. Um, so my theory is, in the preview, we see a moment where Brooke is talking about how... She, I forget what she says. She, it looks like something. she's being interviewed or something. Exactly. So I'm thinking maybe we get Lana Winters uh, interviewing her, possibly. Uh, and that could be her. But I also do like the theory about Hyperdermic Sally coming back. To attend the concert. And then the final option that we've talked about, too, is Billy Dean Howard coming back to... To be talk the, to all the ghosts. To be the one that saves all the ghosts. So I think that, I mean, maybe this has been just set up for us to have, like, a bunch of different potential Sarah Paulson characters, and they intentionally, didn't, intentionally did not show us because it's going to be a surprise, hopefully. I don't know. I, right. I guess I, would I, love that. I, I can get on board for that. Um, she better show up, and we better get a goddamn massacre because they've been teasing it for three episodes now. That's exactly what I was going to ask you: is what is this, what does the finale need for you to be satisfied? I need at least a bloodbath of some concert goers. I think. Um, what I think we will get most likely is a lot of ghost on ghost murder <laughs> going down. Um, actually Montana mentioned it in this episode she said you spent all that time with the woman in white and you didn't ask her how to get out of here so they're going to figure that out I believe like what how do they get out of here and I'm assuming they have to die in some form to get out of there yeah uh, so I think we're going to see a lot of ghosts on ghost murder but and then like maybe the campers or the, the festival people will start showing up but they've been teasing this so long that if we don't get some type of uh massacre humans whatever going down at this concert and i want to see some of these bands uh and the actors that play them yeah uh, we have to see something otherwise i'm gonna be really pissed off and unsatisfied and i don't want that because i've loved the season I agree. What, what do you think we're gonna get i i think i totally agree with you the, some kind of massacre needs to happen but like it can't just be a you know free-for-all death camp with everybody who's there killing each other there needs to be some, yeah. some other parties which I'm guessing Finn Whitrock somehow represents. And I just feel like we've been really high on the season all the way through so far. There needs to be something unexpected. Something surprising. 
Is there going to be something surprising in midseason? Okay, no. Okay, no. Is there going to be something surprising at, you know, at the very end of the you know, penultimate episode leading into the next episode? Not, not yet. No. And the preview doesn't seem to hint at anything quite like that either. I am hoping we the get... The preview s- actually looks kind of boring. <laughs> but it, it, Frankly. It, it was, but it also intentionally felt like it wasn't showing us anything very clearly. Anything. Yeah, it's like Mad Men where you just don't know what's... So I'm hoping that's, hoping that's a good sign and, and we're going to get... S- I would like to get something unexpected. It, yeah, I agree. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so that's where I, I leave off. But in the end, I I am excited to see the season finale. I'm kind of sad this season is ending so quickly because I have really enjoyed it. But I mm-hmm. I would like to see them stick the landing. Me too. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, with that being said, I guess um, we will sign off until next week. Chris, where can people find you between now and then? I'm on Twitter and on Instagram uh, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. Uh, what about you, Tyler? I, I'm on both as well at TJMoss11. And you can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story. You can email us your thoughts and theories at this American Horror Story at gmail.com. And remember, it's most important to do that this week because we will be talking the finale next week. And of course, you can rate us and review us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. We sincerely appreciate that. So. Until next time, episode 9, finale of 1984. So much to look forward to. We'll talk again then. Happy 